I'm trying to diversify my taste by adding some mainstream anime into my weekly TV consumption. Mainstream anime. Is that just Naruto? Naruto? Not, not quite. Uh, uh, subs not dubs, but I really like the show Case Closed. Which <laughs> subs not dubs. <laughs> it's, uh, it's about an amateur detective who is turned into a child and he has to solve mysteries every week despite nobody taking him seriously. Although most of the time, honestly, he just pretends to be an adult. Sure, sure. It's like that movie Little. I'll take your word on it. <laughs> I was watching this episode where the school took a class trip to a, like a rural town in Japan. And while they were there, the area was being terrorized by a creature that uh, appeared to be a Dracula. Oh. You know, right away, I'm assuming it's classic Hounds of Baskerville. There's like a scientific explanation for why people having bite marks in their necks. They yeah, always the man ha- was dead in the cab the whole time. Exactly. And then they introduce this Count character who talks in a Transylvanian accent. He's got these long, sharp teeth. I'm like, obvious red herring. I mean, it's going to be like a science experiment or something. And I just want to clarify, this is not a Sesame Street cross. It's not like a Jim Henson anime crossover event. No, they could not afford the rights. That's a good idea, though. We should send that in. Would you turn the anime characters into puppets or would you draw... I guess it would be cheaper w- to draw the Sesame Street characters. No, you film it with the Sesame Street characters, and then you overlay animation cells of the case closed characters interacting with them. Do you just do you hire people and everybody's in a mocap suit? No, you draw it. Oh, I was just trying to, you know, I was just trying to go with the times. It's very modern. But then, no, I get to the end of the episode, and the dude is just actually a vampire. There was no mystery to solve. The guy was just straight up a supernatural beast. Those poor people were just being harvested. Yeah, but lucky him. Immortality? Pretty nice. One, two, three, four. You, me, and TV. You, me, and TV. You, me, and TV. Hello, and welcome to You, Me, and TV, the only podcast intermittently reminding you to bring back the mole. Every week, we're talking about new uh, current television. I'm Allie Meyer. I'm Kyle Conway. The thought occurred to me that we are somewhat of a television club. It's like a book club where you get together and you watch the show. And or we're you watch all the- babysitters. Mm-hmm. Another club. Yes, one of many clubs. We could be a club podcast and just name different clubs. That would be good for getting out and trying new things. One week we do rock climbing club, one week we do bicycle club. It's a lot of sports. We've been talking about trying new things. In fact, just earlier today, Kyle taught me the word that means afraid of new things. It's neophobia. It's very literal. It also means fear of Keanu Reeves. Yes, he is the one. If you rearrange those letters, it is Neo, and then it's not a coincidence, people. Also, if you rearrange the letters in Neo, it spells Keanu. Yeah, but you got to add a couple extra. You also got to get Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key, and they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's, 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 what's new in the life of Kyle Conway? What you got cooking this week? That's a very broad question. Um, I mostly prepare for this podcast. Uh, that's a lot of how I spend my weekends now is watching TV shows and writing about them. What about Allie? What's she up to? Um, you know, coincidentally, um, about the same. I did this week go to my first um, corporate-sponsored happy hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to go, and then it was a last-minute. Uh, I got roped in, kind of like when somebody pulls a guy off stage with a cane, 
that's how I got taken to the happy hour. Apollo style. Um, yeah, but it was dumb because I work in downtown Chicago, very close to the Sears Tower, like along the river, way downtown. And then we have this happy hour right next to the freaking Cubs stadium. That's a busy place to be. Right after a Cubs game ended. Yeah. So we're driving. There's crazy traffic. I'm sitting next to a coworker of mine who's drinking a vodka Red Bull that he started drinking two hours earlier. That's how you do it in Wrigleyville. He got the vodka out of a water bottle in somebody's desk drawer. And then once we finally get over to the area where the bar is, I thought that happy hours the bar is close to the office. I mean, that is the point. It's just like a quick, easy thing to do after work. Yeah, it just felt sneaky the That's way that the woman from payroll planned it because it was like it took us an hour to get to where we were going and the happy hour only lasted two hours. Yeah, it's not sneaky. That's just inconvenient. I got stuff to do. And then we're walking to the bar from where our, the driver let us out because we couldn't – there was a Cubs game, so there's police barricades everywhere. And – we're very close, and then all of a sudden, a fire truck pulls up and blocks one side, and a giant accordion curtain closes on another side of the street that I learned is used when the players are exiting uh, Wrigley Field so they can leave without being bothered. And then we were just stranded in the road. Yeah, well, I used to just start walking west and keep going forever when I was leaving Cubs games. There's no use trying to catch anything. It's a madhouse. That's how I got out of the Pride Parade last, last month. You just got to walk away from people. People are no good. Um, Yeah, Um, the happy hour was weird. It's um, I didn't think about what I was going to talk to a bunch of people about that the only thing I know about them is that we all work at the same place and we all hate it. I went to see Annabelle by myself at noon on a Sunday, so we use our free time very differently. This week, uh, we're continuing with our sizzling summer of streaming. Uh, we're still we're still searching through Netflix because they, I mean, it just they really put out a lot of content. I mean, it's far and away the biggest platform. I mean, they it feels like they're putting out twenty shows every week. Hulu gets like a series every six months, and nobody watches it. But that's also why Netflix got so many more Emmy nominations this week than uh, anybody else did. So, actually, that makes me uh, want to ask you about the Game of Thrones Emmy nominations. I mean, I know they got 32 of them. I have no idea what they were for. Obviously, it's a popular opinion that they are not well-deserved. But so do you think it was just kind of a foregone conclusion that the Television Academy was going to give them Buku nominations? Or do you think people who were making those voting decisions really convinced themselves that the show was as good as it was in when it ended? I do think one element of it is um, when part of getting Emmy nominations is that the people who like vote for you to get it, I don't exactly know how the committee decides, but obviously not people don't see every TV show in the world. So the more popular show a show is, like inherently the more people will vote for it. And it's so just having a like a larger audience gives them a way bigger advantage. And sometimes I wonder if it's like when uh, Arcade Fire got the Grammy for the suburbs in like two thousand ten, it's like like okay, so this is for Funeral. Consolation, yeah, yeah. Because Suburbs is a good album, but Funeral is like an all-time great album. They That's got no true. recognition. And I think The Suburbs is only a great album if you were in the suburbs when yeah. it was released, which it, is something that you say a lot. Yes, it is very emblematic of the time and accurate to where I was living then. 
So I think a lot of it is people being like, well, Game of Thrones was great, so it should get to have all these awards. Even yeah. if, I mean, anybody who watched that season and it thinks it's well-directed. is got to be the two guys who directed most of them. Yeah, the contrast cranked up or what? <laughs> I mean, come on. You can't see it. It's awful. That's not artistic. It's hard to see. <laughs> this week, we're talking about something that's very colorful, very bright, very animated. Yeah, that's right. It's Captain Underpants Season 3. It dropped on Netflix this week, June, July 19th, so it's only days ago. Yep. Season 3 premiered on Friday. It's called The Epic Tales of Captain Underpants, based on the movie from a couple years back, based on the book series that came out 20 years ago. 15 I years ago. I also read that it was based on the movie, but in what way? If the movie is just based on the book, isn't it just based on the book? It's a different casting and stuff. It's the same story. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's... I was trying to figure out exactly why it is based on the movie, based on the book. That is the technical description that you find. That might just be because they want the movie to be included as part of the franchise. Yeah, the show is produced by DreamWorks, which is not produce a bunch of tv shows this no, kind of seems surprised. like it was made just to make this show and then they want to i'm sure they're gonna do a um a kung fu panda crossover i can't wait for that one i think that was a nickelodeon show wasn't it but it's dreamworks okay um but i do believe that was a nickelodeon show as well i'm also i'm hoping that it all comes together to form a larger um television universe yeah it's an eu for sure i would love to see the kung fu underpants universe b movie <laughs> Other DreamWorks movies. Uh, I think Shrek might be in that. Shrek is a DreamWorks, Shrek yeah. Shrek is the king of DreamWorks. Shrek, DreamWorks is the house that Shrek built. I am all for Phase 4 Marvel, Jerry B. Seinfeld, Shrek, Captain Underpants, and Poe the Panda. Move over, Black Widow. We've got the Bee Widow. <laughs> That's nothing. I'm sorry. But we're talking about Season 3, Captain Underpants. Right, so we're going to start with just a you know, quick overview of the episode as a whole. Yeah, the first episode of the season right. we're talking about. It's called Captain Underpants and the Worrisome Wedge of the Water... Nope, that's not what it's called. It's called Captain Underpants and the Worrisome Wedge of the Water Warmongers. Um, that is way harder to say than it was to type into my notes. Water warmongers, water warmongers, water warmongers. I thought it was monger-er. I have no idea. No, I mean, I copied it right from Netflix. But so I, I'm sure you're right. It's just always sad for me, someone who has prided themselves on their English-lit education, that there are so many words that I don't know or have willingly learned the wrong way to make people laugh, and now I can't unlearn it that way. Well, monger is a, like a verb. Warmongering is a gerund of a verb. Warmonger-er would be a person who mongers war. Oh, so it is a okay. They're a, both real words. A monger is not just a person. I don't know what a monger is the root word of. Not an, oh no, that's a mongoose. That's an animal, yeah. Okay. Well, so are people. Yeah. You got a mongering mongoose. Why don't you tell us about the first episode? <laughs> so the episode is divided into several chapters. Um, not unlike a comic book, we follow two best friends, Harold and George, who like to get into trouble and make comic books together. They're elementary school aged. This season, we're starting at summer camp. 
that is, from my understanding, where the second season left off. Harold and George, the two titular main boys, were going to different summer camps. Mm-hmm. They get there. Both of them get to their camps. Turns out it's the same campground, but evil Principal Krupp, who becomes Captain Underpants at the snap of someone's fingers, uh, has divided the campground into two separate camps because he wants to make more money. Uh, he also has a grand scheme that is going to destroy Harold and George's friendship so that they can't wreak havoc once the next school year starts. Um, seemingly, it looks like Mr. Krupp's plan is working. Harold and George get in a fight after a water balloon fight between the two camps is announced. Uh, they both draw comic books with other people. Some sensual betrayal music is played during this part of the episode. And then, finally, uh, both camps decide to bring the comic books to life uh, to try and win the water balloon war, Mm -hmm. which leads to even more chaos. A big part of the camp is destroyed. Uh, Mr. Krupp has to become Captain Underpants to save the day. And then, ultimately, we find out that Harold and George were only pretending to be fighting this whole time so that they would be able to hang out all summer and Mr. Krupp would take down the fence separating the two camps, which he does. So seemingly they get their way, and then in the last moment, they get tattled on because some of the other camper kids found out that they faked their fight. Melvin. And then Mr. Krupp puts up a huge brick wall, um, and the episode ends there. With what? Are, how are Harold and George going to fix this? The first one was just a chain link fence. It's weird that the very idea of walls have been so co-opted that when I see them in a cartoon, I immediately think of Trump. Well, I <laughs> thought that it was intentional because in that last shot, when it's revealed that Mr. Krupp built a brick wall, he calls it a big, beautiful wall. And it's, I don't know if that's on me or if it isn't. It's interesting that you think it's intentional because right away I was like, oh, so walls are just ruined. We can't talk about walls anymore. I immediately thought it was intentional, but maybe it's just that Trump uses words that are so simple and have so few syllables that it's just the kind of language that you would find in a children's show. Nobody in Hollywood would dare compare Trump to Mr. Krupp. <laughs> they don't have the cojones. So right at the top of the beginning, how whack would it be if you were going to summer camp and then you found out your principal was going to be the head director when you got there? Yeah, that's a real, um, he's like the anti-Feeny where he is everywhere <laughs> and everything, kind of like a Thanos figure. There's something specific about this to kids shows, because like if not that this was a series, but if Recess was going to do a summer camp episode, it would be the principal, and you would want to have Miss Fitz. Finster. You would want to have Miss Finster there. Otherwise, it's just not fun. Cause kids yeah, already. Randall would be carrying all the wiffle balls. Kids, or maybe not kids, but what people think of kids when they make TV shows is that they're not looking for like new ideas and concepts. Yeah. They. There's a person they don't like who they want to see get their comeuppance, and it's Mr. Krupp. And especially because Mr. Krupp becomes Captain Underpants, he can't – they can't stray far from him. He has to be sure. around Harold and George so that they can use Captain Underpants at a moment's notice. The same character is the primary antagonist and protagonist. Actually, Captain Underpants, not really as much of a featured character as you might think watching it for the first time. Yeah, he's kind of like a bing-bong uh, from Inside Out, the okay. imaginary friend that yeah. I love so much. He um, is important to the plot. But it doesn't really show up until, like, deep. Yeah, he's like um, 
um, not a not a hand of God, but like a last. I don't know what the word is. It's like they they bring out Captain Underpants when they've exhausted all their other possible solutions to the problem. Mm-hmm. Which I would probably go for Captain Underpants first. He has superpowers, right? And I'm also just kind of lazy. So if I have got access to a superhero. Those kids were good with tech. Yeah, that was. <laughs> so right away at the start of the episode, I was really excited that we were seeing a summer camp set. Um, That's a classic. There's something fun about it. Cause I think it's because kids, you're at home watching TV and you want things to feel different. So you're like, oh, my characters are going to summer too. Yeah, when I was a kid, I, I did not go to sleepaway camp until I was like 16. I went to day camp for a decade, theater camp. Uh, and then it closed because not a lot of people want to send their kids to day theater camp. No, you want them to sleep there to get the Shakespeare in their dreams. <laughs> I was gonna, that's the point of camp is that you get away from your kids. Yeah. Yeah, I went to band camp for one week of every summer for a few years. But I feel like on TV, kids are always going for three months, which maybe is that an East Coast thing. It doesn't really feel like a thing that anybody I knew did. I definitely had friends when I was little that would go to sleepaway camp for maybe two of the three months. That's a long time. When I went for writing camp in high school, it was like four to six weeks. It wasn't that long. Um, But I just always thought camp seemed like the coolest shit ever. It is. I mean, I was playing a baritone horn like seven hours a day, and that was still the most fun week of summer. (laughs) And playing a baritone horn was not my shit. So it was sleepaway band camp? Yes, it was like seven days long, and then you'd have a concert at the end for all the music you learned that week. Did people make American Pie jokes? You were too young. I That movie was pretty popular at the time. I never have seen it, though. So I'm, maybe people were referencing I don't remember. I, I definitely heard, like, we had flautists, and you heard that one line a lot. Oh, no, those poor flautists. <laughs> That's terrible. But otherwise, like, nobody I know had sex with a pie at camp or anything. One time I made fun of the lemonade, and they threw the book at me. <laughs> What happens with the le- I've seen American Pie a dozen times, and I do not know what happens with no, the lemonade. No, this has nothing to do with American Pie. I was asking for more lemonade, and I sarcastically, this was in eighth grade, said to the guy next to me, I was like, yeah, I'll have more lemon-flavored water, please. And the woman who made the lemonade really came down on me for being rude, and she was right to do so. You know, that was the original draft of Oliver Twist, was not that he just wanted more food, but that he was teasing the food. <laughs> yeah, this food, this orphan food sucks. Yeah, and it was a lesson about um, being nicer, but then, it, you know, they changed a lot of things in the later drafts. But then at the end of the night, Mr. Case was like, anybody else got KP? And I got to put my hand up because it was like the first night, and I was like, yeah, rolling deep. KP is kitchen patrol. It means you got to clean up. Oh. So everybody knew I was thugging. So cleaning up was a good? No, but it meant I got in trouble. I'm like right, right oh, away. So people knew you were cool. Yeah, I, I remember the two other guys, Mike and Brad, got it. And then they're like, anybody else got it? I'm like, I already got it, Mr. C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that really would have been um, a fast way to my heart would be to get in trouble on the first day of anything. Honestly, I wasn't even trying to disrespect her. I just thought it was like kind of funny. I wasn't thinking about the fact that humans made the lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> so we also get a really fun, before the main plot of the episode kicks off, um, we get kind of a fun catch-up from the previous season, and it's a it's like a fake late-night talk show that mm-hmm. Harold and George and Captain Underpants are appearing on. And it has nothing to do with the rest of the episode, but the fake, like the Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon-esque host that they draw is named Rap Talkwell, and I just thought that was a really good name. 
Yeah, they do a lot of fun um, kind of format breaking stuff. They don't worry like about continuity. And I think that there's a lot of elements of the show that come from the book more than you would expect. And that is one of them. Uh, they do like hard cuts away to fanciful stuff. Did you notice the narrator? Yes. You know who it was? Oh, no. I thought you just meant did I did I hear the narr- that there was no, narration. But it was Sean Astin, Sam Wise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings, who's also on Stranger Things and has his own show on Netflix. What deal with the devil did this dude make? Well, he has the ring. No, no, he doesn't. I know. Did you see those movies? Not once. He carries Frodo, but he cannot carry the ring. That's a huge plot point. Sean Astin willing to appear on any Netflix show there is. I heard they're rebooting uh, Iron Fist. Not extreme engagement, though. He will not participate in that trash. Did you hear about extreme engagement? I have no idea what that is. It sounds like 90 Day Fiance, though. It is so much worse than that, which is really saying something. Because my understanding of 90 Day Fiance, based on the subreddit, is that it's a real mess. Um, hey, I worked on Married at First Sight. Come at me for the deets, people. I got secrets. I used to watch Married at First Sight, but then it started making me sad. They threw, flew me to the Virginian, Virginian, the Virgin Islands, so that makes me happy. <laughs> um, extreme engagement. I broke a camera. You broke a camera? Did you have to pay for it? No. Did anyone know that you broke it, yes. or did you blame it on the lemonade? No, I blamed it on the a- 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 alcohol. That had lemonade in it. That Virginia Island rum. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying. Extreme Engagement is, I'm not sure if it's a Netflix original or if it's an Australian show that Netflix bought the distribution rights to and then they slap their Netflix original <laughs> Netflix on it. Netflix loves pretending they produce international concept that they bought distribution rights to. I don't know legally universe. how they do that. They don't say, like, produce. It just says Netflix in the corner when you see yeah, it. Yeah, and then you can just always figure out that they didn't actually make it if it's not an American or United States Base production. It's not just Netflix. It's really frustrating though, because I like I could not figure out if Fleabag was like made in conjunction with Amazon and BBC right. or if BBC had produced it. And these are the things that I get upset about in my real life. Well, it just feels so misleading. Well, yeah. And then when they're going, like, did they make Roma when they got that Oscar nom, or did they just buy it from someone? That's a good question. Um, extreme engagement is about this couple who. Are just they seem really desperate for fame. They're both some type of photojournalist person. I think they have semi-significant Instagram followings, um, and because they're both so focused on becoming famous photojournalists, they have completely neglected their marriage. They talk about the fact that their sex life is virtually non-existent. So then they decide that to repair their relationship. Um, they're going to take like a across the world trip together to go to all different cultures to study their marriage rituals. You got to communicate at home. Yeah. Maybe if you are worried about your engagement, like being on the rocks, stop. Fil- don't film yourself. You know, they're just getting those views. They don't care yeah. about each other. So the first episode, they go to, uh, I, mm, I was going to say Cameroon, but I don't know if that's right. But they go to Africa, and they go to, like, a very small community in Africa, and they're showing them this um, tradition where, like, a spirit comes into the body, and it's, you know, supposed to bless you with love and, like, a happy marriage and fulfillment in that area of your life. And it's the first place that they go, and the woman, like, of the fiancé couple just refuses to participate. 
she keeps complaining about like the weather and like how she it's silly and at one point she says i don't think this is gonna work on a white person oh no it's i can't believe that nef i mean don't air that i'm not i no, mean no you gotta scrap that right away maybe they're just okay with them being villains i don't it's it's that, a that's pretty gross yeah, it is really gross. That's a good way to describe it's like that it. Season of Survivor when a woman wouldn't go in the temple for like the blessing because she was afraid Jesus wouldn't love her. Yeah, yeah, and it turns out Jesus didn't love her because she was scared of other religions. So, um, after we get the late night uh, a talk show opening on Captain Underpants, we get to camp. Harold is at. Let's see. Harold attends Lake Summer Camp Camp. George is at Camp Lake Summer Camp. Yeah, this was a pretty convoluted plot, but a lot of Captain Underpants stuff is like this, which is kind of like silly. It was, that, and I like that about it. I thought that it was really silly in a really fun way. I didn't think it took itself too seriously. And like you said before, I really felt um, like they made a real effort to make the show feel like a comic book because that's such a big part of the original book series. Yeah, and they uh, do the uh, thing where you rearrange letters on signs in every episode, which is a fun yeah. homage to the book, too. That's like their Simpsons couch gag. Jigglypuff drawn on your face with a marker. Every episode, when you fall asleep, Jigglypuff will get you. And my memory of the movie that they made a couple years back is that it there wasn't as big an attempt made to keep it in that comic book style, but it was also computer-generated animation, and this is more of a, like, bare bones hand drawn style which i think works better for the show yeah it looks like somebody took the books and drew it as a tv yeah. show which is traditionally what a kid wants to see is the thing they already know when i was in high school i was in an adapted uh children's play version of captain underpants mm -hmm. that we would perform at the elementary schools in the area and i would get to miss school uh, while my friend Dustin put on tidy whities and ran around a gymnasium. That was mostly the play. Mm -hmm. It was a good time. What did you play in it? Oh, I played like a made-up character. I was like the bully. All bullies. characters are made up. <laughs> but not from it. We like added him in. I played a bully character named Ryan who was not even the main bully. He was like bully number two. Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with being the guy in Boy Meets World and the, the one of those two guys. Yeah, I was like Joey. Yeah, I can't remember either of their names. I was disrespectful. Did not I'm get sorry. the plot meat that a Frankie would have gotten, but I was a real Joey. Frankie got like two episodes, though, and they were never the good ones. I mean, they're good, but not because of Frankie and his dad. No, because of Frankie and his love of Harley's girlfriend. Yeah, that poetry. <clears throat> Big man got soul. <laughs> Respect that. <laughs> Wherever you are, Joey, I feel you. No, Frankie, my bad. <laughs> both, both. So we find out that Mr. Krupp is the camp director um, of both camps. Like we said, he splits the camp in two because he thinks he's going to make double the the profits. Yeah, it's kind of messy, but it's, he gets one check and he splits it in two. They don't like double his check or anything, yeah. so they say he's an idiot and doesn't change anything. It seems like most of these children's families did not pay for the camp because at one point they show him counting his enrollment money and he's got three dollar bills no he can't get past two he's unable <laughs> to count that high i don't know how he be i guess maybe do you need it's a teacher's license to become a principal i think pretty much most principal start as teachers but it's definitely an administrative position he uh principal krupp took the job because he wants to buy a leisure myland 
which is uh, he, he a, a inflatable island. Yeah, it's got like an it's ice like cream parlor. And a, yeah. But a home. We talked about this. They have these like floating amusement parks now on lakes and stuff in America. You mean uh, just like big bouncy houses in the middle of the lakes, but really big. But this one has an ice cream parlor. I don't. How is it functional? I don't know what you mean. It's not like a roller coaster on it. It's just a bouncy house. But how do you have ice cream on it? Oh no! I mean, it doesn't. It's, that wouldn't work. It's, it's a like cartoon. Fisher Price ice cream. No, it's just not real. Oh, I thought you meant some of them. I just got too caught up in the fantasy. No, Mr. Crump, who is never once referred to as Principal Crump. He's Camp Director Crump. That's true. Um, he has an ice cream parlor in his leisure land. So we get a quick shot of one of the uh, main like supporting kid characters, Melvin Sneedley. He's at the camp, too. Um, Classic evil nerd. Yeah, yeah. He's a real... Um, Poindexter. His mom's doing a dirty work. Yeah, he's like swimming in the lake, and then you find out that his mom is actually under the water doing all the swimming for him. And I'm hoping that the show gains enough traction that that will become the origin for Jason Voorhees and his mom. That's pretty good. I think that Melvin is about as good a name as you're going to get for that character. Other close runner ups, Eugene. Dexter, I mean, it's used, but it's still out there. Dexter reminds me, uh, one of the people who developed the show iteration of Captain Underpants is Peter Hastings. I thought for sure you were going to say Michael C. Hall. (laughs) No, Peter Hastings is, um, he has been working in children's animated television for a long time. He was one of the head writers on Pinky and the Brain. Love that. On Animaniacs. Love that. Um, He was really involved with Tiny Toon Adventures. Uh, and he's con- he's worked consistently since then. I think his most recent thing, other than Captain Underpants, is a show called Cat Scratch. Cat Scratch. That was from like 10 years ago, though. Cat Scratch oh, hasn't shit. been on in a minute. <laughs> Cat Scratch was a Nickelodeon show that we were kind of too old for. And that's like when the cats, it's like all one shape, right? It's kind of like a potato with two ears stuck on. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. There's three cats in their ship kind of differently. But yeah, one of them is definitely a kind of a, a more out of shape Garfield. <laughs> we meet all the kids i think are pretty funny erica wang she's got jokes and yeah erica is like slick and smart jessica and her uh, girls the sophies yeah that's a classic kid show writing group yeah especially the way jessica talks she's like the, the like popular girl and then the sophies are her cronies and she draws everything out Dressy? I didn't really get what her game was exactly. She would, That's the dramatic one that I like to sing. I think, yeah, I didn't really get what her deal was either, except for the fact that she was just kind of always there to accentuate the moment with music, but everybody was annoyed by it. Yeah, and it seemed, I just didn't really get exactly what she was doing. Maybe other episodes she has a more coherent purpose. No, I think that's probably it. That was one of the th- – there's several through lines in this episode. Like, they repeat the gag a bunch of times, and I thought they pretty much all were funny except for her. I just didn't – it didn't work for me. Yeah. It's a uh, kid show. They're doing kind of broad stuff. Yeah, but. I'm a 26-year-old person trying to fit myself into the box that this show was made for. But it is like a kid show runner. They just kind of do the same thing three to five times. Yeah. and. The repetition is very pleasing to kids. It pleases me, too. Just this one time doesn't work as well. There's also Gooch. He's probably the best one. No shirt Gooch. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty good. The Principal Jackson's shirt. Steve Yamaguchi. Sick name. Who's Steve Yamaguchi? Oh, that's Gooch? Yeah, Yamaguchi. 
Oh, that's great. That's a really good nickname. Yeah. Well, I think that isn't that the nickname for now I'm going to show how ignorant I am and I don't care about following the current administrator. But oh, no. Gooch was the guy, right? No, Mooch. The Mo- Mooch. The Mooch Anthony Gooch. Scaramucci. Scaragucci. The Mooch with the Gooch, <laughs> I think is maybe what they called him. Sure. That's what I call my dog. She's never had a job a day in her life. <laughs> Except for the 10 days she spent as President Trump's uh, press secretary. Guys, I'm telling you, they're hiring anybody. Whoa. And then she got a, a false position on Celebrity Big Brother. So after we meet the whole group of kids, um, George and Harold, they realize that they're going to be separated by this fence. They give Mr. Krupp a whole litany of reasons why they should be able to take the fence down or at least just be on the same side of it together. But Mr. Krupp's working from a philosophy. He's got that moon zoo. Yeah, this I thought was really funny. One of the other gags that comes up a bunch of times is like an art of war parody. Yeah, it's I think it's just Moon Zoo, right, instead of Sun Zoo. Yeah, yeah. Um and I don't I don't know if we ever get what the title of the book is, but it is a very specific strategy book about how to turn best friends at summer camp against each other. Mm-hmm. Um and it works, or so you think. Yeah, we're led to believe for a good part of the episode that it is working. We get another one of the through-line gags um, in this litany of reasons why Harold and George should be able to attend the same camp. They give uh, Mr. Krupp camp guacamole, which is just a bowl of mayonnaise and pine cones. Gross. Yeah, and he keeps eating it all episode, and it keeps making him sick, but not um, like viscerally ill. He like gurgles and burbles every time he eats it, and it made me laugh. That's what my stomach does when I eat greasy food. It's just... Everyone has to hear it. That's what my stomach does when I'm just sitting doing nothing. (laughs) We also get, um, as Harold and George are kind of commiserating about the fact that they're stuck on opposite sides of this fence, we learn that a lot of really poor planning went into this fence construction. The whole thing is really an allegory for the immigration crisis. If you can't get cups in America, then how are you going to get drinks in Mexico, people? And that's where Gooch comes in. All the forks are on one side of the fence, but all the food is on the other side. The cups are on one side, but the drinks are on the other. And the whole episode, um, Gooch is just really, he's really hurting his hands. It's a kid's version of the South Park episode where they go a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll. I don't know if I remember that one. That's like a a 2001 post 9-11 episode where the liberals and the conservatives split the town in half. And they're like, well, the pharmacy's on your side. Of course we can go over there. (laughs) <laughs> that's we also, the secret to making kids content take a popular adult content and reference it <laughs> <laughs> that's not what they're doing though we also get another running gag erica a couple times and the first time it happens is in this commiserating scene uh in like the camp mess hall she tells harold and george to just use wire cutters yeah. to cut through the chain link fence easy done at one, at one point, she has a pair of wire cutters. That would have been the move. And nobody listens to Erica. You can, climb o- you can climb over the fence, too. Those kids got it. Yeah, they could. That would be an easy fence to climb. I've climbed fences like that before. I mean, then those are two famously troublemaking kids. They're not going to let a fence get in their way. I mean, yeah, the whole f- 
all of a chain link fence is just footholds for but, which to climb over. I'll tell you this. Mr. Crump put a lot of work into it. It really runs through camp. They try to go around it. Cannot get it done. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it, it, it goes for miles or however big the campground is. So Mr. Crump announces the next uh, phase in his plan to separate George and Harold and end their friendship. There's going to be a water balloon war between Camp Lake Summer Camp and Summer Lake Camp Camp. They should have had a prize, something they were competing for, something big that they both wanted. Well, they're competing for Mr. Krupp's um, Leisure Island, but they just don't realize that. Sure. So that was, uh, and that's pretty much all we get. The, the episode's divided up into five chapters, I think also to kind of reflect the fact that it's based on a book. Yeah, they're definitely keeping that around. The yeah. book is, has similarly like funny chapter titles. And yeah, this first chapter was called Weep Away Camp. Um, and then we move into chapter two, which is called Endless Bummer. Camp Weep Away, is that like the, as told by Ginger Camp or something also? I'm pretty sure I've heard that used before. No. Oh my goodness! The ginger, as told by Ginger, one is at camp something something something. We don't say moopers, we say meeps. Camp wanna weep? That's what it was on Kim Possible. Ron hated that place. He was terrified. Oh yeah, see, I don't have as good a working uh, memory of Kim Possible as I do as told by Ginger, because I just always get distracted thinking about how perfectly triangular the nachos were on Kim Possible. You know, I was looking at uh, Instagram by coincidence this week, and I. For the first time ever, I saw Chrissy Carlson Romano's page. Uh-huh. I think she has, uh, I don't know how popular it is, but it's like a cooking show. And was it recommended to you, her Instagram page, or did you seek it out? I don't I think I, um, I think it might have been a meme about um, the Hillary Duff movie, where she, Cadet Kelly. Oh, hell yeah, classic. I think it was something about how people react when Lizzo comes on, and it was Cadet Kelly, and uh, <laughs> Chrissy Carlson Romano page. So that is what I do with my work day when I'm in the bathroom, which is how I spend most of my work day. Beats being at a happy hour. But she had um the guy who plays Eric Matthews on. A Wilfred L. As a guest, and they made a naco. And I didn't watch it because I don't actually watch these things. I just see what the thumbnails are, and I absorb yeah, that's information fun. that way. Um, I think Kim Possible had a, a resurgence uh, in the past couple years because they made that movie. I had a, like, camp instructor actually at that theater camp the day camp and she used to tell stories about how when she was a teenager she and christy carlson romano went to the same voice teacher and she said christy carlson romano was not well liked by the other people at the voice studio i don't know it sounds like this girl might just be a hater christy carlson romano was wildly famous yeah um and melissa if you ever hear this uh you know hit us up are, are you still married to justin I'm not calling you a liar, Melissa. I'm just saying I'm suspect. I'm just calling you biased. Despite the fact that every character she plays is uptight. <laughs> I think Christy Carlson Romano is cool as the other side of a pillow. I loved her when I was a kid. I had the Kids Bop or Broadway Kids albums because she was on them. I had her CD. Not me. That makes sense. So, chapter two of uh, Captain Underpants season three premiere, Endless Bummer. We pick up with George and Harold um, just really, you know, they're sad that they are separated by this fence. They're writing Civil War style letters to each other. They've even got like the sepia tone thought bubble balloons 
Yeah, they're wearing their fancy dress in the picture in picture. Yeah, so yeah. Zoom in like a Ken Burns documentary. Um, I thought I thought it was a real funny moment. Um, and it's just kind of like another classic element of a kids show. You've got to have those jokes in there that are just for the parents. I think it's funny for a kid to see they're seeing them wear a Civil War dress. Yeah, I think it's funny for the but that is how jokes work that are yeah. written into uh, like a kids thing to make adults laugh. The kids are have to laugh at them too, yeah, which is for different reasons. The maybe flowerly language is inherently funny. Yeah, and especially because they are they're like right next to each other, just across the sides of the fence. But mm-hmm. it's a chain; you can just talk through the fence. And that one, I think they had a cabin wall between them for some reason, which I thought was a mistake. <laughs> I thought it confused the story. Then they should just break through the wall. Sure, much easier. So they come up with this scheme. They're going to show Mr. Krupp that the two of them are even more of a headache when they're separated than if they were just get to be together as best friends at camp. That's why I used to say when teachers made me move to the other side of the room, I'd just be like, I'm just going to yell at my friends anyways. <laughs> I uh, can vouch from uh, work stories that if there's somebody you want to talk to, it doesn't matter how far away they are. You'll just yell. Well, in my version of the story, I was like eight. (laughs) The people you work with are 25 and over. No, some are eight. (laughs) But just the ones in the finance department. So now Mr. Krupp realizes that he doesn't have enough money anywhere near it to buy his uh, leisure my land. That's also a bad investment. I mean, come fall, man. All that money's gone, though. <laughs> and I also, I thought this was the weirdest part of the episode. I mean, Mr. Krupp is the antagonist in pretty much every story about Captain Underpants. Um, but he starts snooping through all the kids' belongings looking for shit to sell. He's going to, like, hawk it all. Yeah, he's a true villain. I mean, that is some meth head stuff. He's going around trying to round up some loot. Yeah, he's eating kids' cookies out of the bag. He's, like, trying on their clothes. It's like... He steals poor Gucci's shirt. It's... This would be... If somebody's, like, nanny cam caught this footage, it would make the local news. That, man, when I worked at a grocery store, I used to, like, hang out in the fridge and eat out of the food. I go, <laughs> but still, if anybody ever recorded that, that would be me. Like, watch what happens behind the scenes at your local restaurant when these employees get hungry. <laughs> Just me digging into pulled pork, going crazy. <laughs> I also used to work at a grocery store, and I worked the oh, – it was a 24-hour grocery store, and I worked the overnight, like 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. Graveyard. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I got to restock the candy. but So we had keys to, like, all of the, um, like, little candy dispensers and things that are in the front of a gro- – like, temporary tattoos – like weird keychains. Yeah, the twenty-five cent kid stuff. It's a dollar now. Yeah, yeah. Times have changed. That's so expensive. So we used to open up the super bouncy ball one, and we would just steal bouncy balls. Let them fly. I had so many of them by the time I quit that job. Statue of limitations is not over, guys. Keep that on the down low. <laughs> so after Mister Krupp snoops through all the kids' belongings. Um, we cut back to Harold and George. They're both really, really lonely, and they're desperately lonely enough that both of them coincidentally uh, are willing to make a comic with somebody else. 
But Harold works with Erica, and like Erica seems cool. I get why you don't want to work with Melvin. Melvin sucks. Yeah, Melvin is like Minkus. He's like their rival, but not in like a super serious kind of way. I seen at the end, it seems like he's a little bit of a villain. Yeah, yeah, but at this point, it just seems like he's kind of an annoyance. I do like that one of them uh, writes the comic and one of them draws it. Yeah, that's how it normally works in the Captain Underpants universe. Harold is the um, artist and George is the storyteller. Mm -hmm. And then when they pair up, Harold draws and he gets Erica. Well, Erica suggests that they make a comic together because mm -hmm. she's a good storyteller. And on George's end, he has an idea for a story and he needs someone to draw and Melvin can kind of draw. It's funny they use like graph paper. It's like dirty drawing. It yeah, looks it's all like right. really geometric looking. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was funny too. What are the two comics they draw? Ooh, um, that's a good question. So George and Melvin draw the Camplifier, which is a story about this big campfire that comes to life because it gets these chemicals poured in it. And it just – it wants a friend, but nobody wants to be its friend because it's a big, scary fire monster. You got to understand that, dude. And Harold and Erica draw the Balloonatic, which is like a – Much better name than Camplifier. I thought Camplifier was a cool name, but not – it. the actual Camplifier didn't um, – um, what's the word for a mirror? Reflect yes. the name. If it was like a campfire that got bigger or maybe some combination of like stereo equipment and a fire, then yeah, campfire totally works. But for this like weird robot fire, nah, don't, don't. Yeah, fly. there's like, it has got like a robotic chest. But you know what? Oh wait, they are the writers. He's supposed to be the writer too. That's messed up. Um, and originally, when the scene starts and he enlists Melvin's help, George is kind of thinking aloud, and he's talking about, like, a sleeping bag that's actually a monster, which I think is a way better idea. Mm -hmm. Although I do like the origin of chemicals getting poured in the fire, and that's how it becomes sentient. It's like bug juice. Everybody knows bug juice. That's, Ugh, you get made fun of for calling it water. So then Harold and Erica, like we said, make the balloonatic. And that is just like a giant water balloon monster. It kind of looks like the puff pastry, the marshmallow man in Ghostbusters when it gets all blown up. It looks like one of those uh, blue inflatable couches that kids used to be able to get. It's like a plastic couch that you would blow oh, up. Oh, yeah. I had a Barbie furniture that was like inflatable yeah, like that. It looks like a blue version of that, but filled with water. I always wanted inflatable furniture. I had some. Guess what? It pops very easily. <laughs> Plastic in air. That's why you fill it with water, right? It Turn makes it harder to pop. Turns out that cushions are a good idea. <laughs> and that is pretty much where we leave um, the end of chapter two. Harold and George have succumbed to the loneliness that Mr. Krupp was hoping they would. And um, they are betraying the holiness of their comic book making by making comics with other kids. But, I mean, it's good for them to find different artists and adventure and create. That only makes a stronger product when the two of them come back together and collaborate later. Right, and you'd think that it'd be okay with both of them since they both simultaneously <laughs> agree. Well, not, but they both simultaneously decide that they're going to make a comic with somebody else. If you, like, cheat on someone and then you come back the next night and they found out, and you found out that they cheated on someone that same time, you can't be like, ugh disrespectful you're a monster <laughs> how dare you do exactly what i did at the exact same time with the same amount of knowledge 
And but that's pretty much what happens at the start of chapter three, Captain Underpants and the Combustible Camplifier. Uh, Harold and George both think that their respective comic is the way to beat Mr. Krupp. And they go to the fence to tell the other it's revealed that they have both made a comic with somebody else and they both get really pissy about it. Yeah, they both want to mark their territory. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean it in quite a, such a literal way. Um, it's their children. It's not that R-rated kids movie that is coming out. Ah, uh, yes. I don't know anything about it, but it looks whack. It's called Good Boy or something. Good, good Boys, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, there's just like a part where I think they are watching porn or like something very close to it. Yeah, that definitely is. And, and then they um, scream and think it's gross because that's how children act. That those kids are like twelve. Twelve year old boys could definitely might be like, oh, what? Word? It would just they would look back on it later and be like, that was probably a formative experience that didn't help me in the long run. That's a movie written by a forty year old where it's like, you know that kid had Snapchat when he was six, right? <laughs> it's a different world we're living in. He's on his dad's Instagram looking at 18-year-olds. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, chapter three is really quick. Pretty much the the plot points of note are that uh, Harold and George are mad at each other for making comics with Melvin and Erica. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another funny through line that we haven't talked about yet that comes up a few times. The whole episode, Mr. Krupp is looking for his keys. Oh, yeah. He left them in the ignition of his car, and periodically throughout the episode, we see a family of raccoons. They are painstakingly breaking into his car. They've got, like, a coat hanger through the window. Like, they've done this before, but they're still careful about it. Yeah, the third beat of that joke is a Ferris Bueller's Day Off reference. That's what you were talking about earlier. No way a kid would get that. They have the stolen car flying through the air in slow motion. Yeah, but eventually, <laughs> boom, boom. They um, they the raccoons drive away with Mr. Krupp's car, and that's the last we see of them. Actually, I think they crash the car into his office at the end of the episode. Oh, really? I totally missed that. Yeah, and they throw his keys at him, and he's thankful to have his keys back. That's funny. I really liked the raccoons breaking into the car. That was maybe my favorite. Uh, recurring gag throughout the episode. Sure. It's way better than Dressy Kilman. I like Moon Zoo a lot, too, the Art of War yeah. book. I thought that was really funny. And as, as Mr. Krupp thinks his plan is working, as Harold and George continue fighting, and he references the Moon Zoo a lot. So Chapter 4 is called To the Bitter Friend. Um, We start this water balloon war is still going on. Um, I'm not sure if it's the same day or if it's just like nighttime now or if it's a whole new day as when George and Harold first started arguing. But either way, both camps come up with these elaborate strategies um, to create the monsters from the comic books to use against the other camp. No, Harold's got the better strategy. They're just going to hack theirs. They're going to let them do all the work. That's, but they end up with both, right? Or they just hack the balloonatic. They hack the balloonatic, and, and then, then right, 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 right. They build it to be because the balloonatic can't be stopped. So George and uh, Melvin, they uh, are gonna build this balloonatic, this water balloon monster. 
um, which they do by sucking up all of the water from the lake into a bunch of water balloons. It's a convenient monster. It fills itself. It'd be like if you pulled up to the gas station, your car was like, all right, just give me a minute, and grabbed the pump and got to work. That's going to be the opening scene of when they make another Herbie fully loaded. In Oregon, that's what you have to do. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of tech in this. Uh, the rest of this episode. And it's it's a kid's show, so it doesn't really ne- it can be as convenient as it needs to be for the plot to work. But it's a lot of tech for these little kids to be so adept at using. I think that's probably con- pretty consistent with the entire show. Yeah, it's real fantastical. So, um, Erica, like you were saying, Erica and Harold's plan is that um, Erica, once again, proving that she's the smartest and coolest one, is she's gonna hack into the controls that are operating the balloonatic. So then they can control it for themselves. I got a little hung up wondering how a water monster can use mechanical controls like that without short-circuiting itself. Sure. But we also just established that this is a fantastic universe where anything can happen. I think more the problem that's electricity and water is the fact that it's just a big balloon with no other parts whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah, we really can't see where these controls are at all that she hacked. But there's, like, a BattleBots-esque, like, controller that Melvin is using. Yeah, he's got, like, a little panel on him. Yeah. He's supposed to be like, that's where the science is. But the hacking backfires, and the monster, the balloonatic kind of goes haywire, and nobody can control it. Huge fuck-up, Erica. Honestly, I've been championing you all day, but you blew it this one. You got too cocky with your hacking abilities. Before, I was just attacking one side of the camp, and you made it a ravenous monster. <laughs> and also, I was really surprised. when They show... um the lake being totally empty because all the water's in the monster. Tiny lake. Tiny lake. It looked really small. Can't, you know what? That balloon was big, though. It's also really sad that Melvin's dead mom's body was just at the bottom. Yeah, it's what weird that they use her for two beats in the beginning, and then she's dead for the rest of the episode. And I wonder if we're going to see the, the repercussions of that in Melvin's character. Yeah, he freaks out and starts wearing a hockey mask in season three. Did you know that Melvin doesn't actually get the hockey mask until season three of Epic <laughs> Tales of Captain Underpants? No, I didn't know when that. When you think about it, you just think of Melvin always having it. But Melvin isn't even the bad guy in the first one. It's Melvin's mom. And I assume that it was going to be a bigger part because they teased the image of it. Like right when DC put out the Joaquin Phoenix Joker like face makeup, mm-hmm. then they came back with Melvin with the hockey mask because, you know, they have to, like, DC can't take all the thunder. They had, like, a PA leak that shit. I was like, oh, no, how'd this get out? Like, <laughs> yeah, you guys got me. <laughs> so the balloonatic is destroying the camp. Principal, Cr- um, Camp Director Krupp just is, like, taking a snooze. He's got one of those badass hats with a little umbrella on top, and he's just trying to pretend that it's not happening. George and Harold call a temporary truce. Um, for the purpose of summoning Captain Underpants, stopping the balloonatic, and saving the camps. Mm-hmm. And that takes us to the start of Chapter 5. Something that I was um, surprised about, the show moves so fast. Yeah, I was, when I saw 24 minutes, I, I was pretty happy with the pacing of it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun, too, but it... Um, I was just surprised because I feel like so many – I watch a decent amount of children's television, which is a weird thing to say out loud, but it's true. And um, I think a lot of it moves so slowly, and they parse out the beats so much, and there's so much time that gets eaten up with just people, like, mugging at each other and, like, looking at the camera and, like, putting their hands on their hips. And this, there really was not a second of breathing room. It 
moved at a real clip. No, it was it's very like fifth grade boy, high energy, frantic. Yeah. Uh, if this joke doesn't work, we're gonna hit him with another one. Don't worry about <laughs> it. But um, most of it works, and that's what the books are like too. Yeah. It's it's all very chaotic. There's a great segment um, in uh, the third or fourth chapter where we get like to see a comic book style. We're taken through both of the comics that are made, the Camplifier and the Balloonatic. Mm-hmm. And the the dialogue over that's telling the story is like real overlapped and it's fast and it sounds ad lib, but obvi- I don't think it is. And I, that was probably my favorite part of the whole um, episode. It was a real format shift. They do a lot of uh, animation changes. Some of them like really quick and almost um, yeah. you can miss them. There's one, I wish I remembered the specific, but there's one that they like changed to 3D for a beat. It's when Principal Krupp is in his leisure myland and he's got like an inflatable hottie on his arm. Yeah, and she, she pops. gets popped. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's something that would probably be cheaper to just draw. And, you know, but it is more visually interesting to do yeah. a lot of fun stuff. They may change it up pretty frequently. I think visually interesting is a really good way to describe the episode as a whole. The show looks good. Yeah, it does. It's very satisfying. A few times they switch into kind of like a popsicle stick like real life puppet style, like when the SpongeBob characters yeah. go out of the water onto land, um, and I I thought that was fun too. That's probably the the format that they go to the most often. Sure. Other than the standard hand drawn animation. So it's the it's the final chapter, chapter five, the incredibly gr- gr- <laughs> the incredibly graphic violence chapter in Balloon Animal Orama. Yeah, this was the most like most memory I have of in the comic is like when you would get to the fight scene with Captain Underpants, they would try to make it fun. They, I remember they would be like, flip the page really fast and it would be like George hitting him with a hammer and yeah. you're supposed to be doing a flip book kind of motion with it. Or it was like Mad Magazine where you would fold the A and the C line together and you would like crush the villain in between two walls or something. I know they went on to make a lot of these books so they probably got pretty repetitive yeah, after yeah. a while. But at the time it felt really inventive and fun. And in this case, they get really weird with it. This freaking scared me, for real. If you, This is like the uh, spiritual successor to the Courage the Cowardly Dog episode where they steal the thing from the mummy and he, people out there who saw that know what I'm talking about. I think it's the spiritual successor to Stephen King's It. Well, yeah, it's a clown. It's a, just a person clown. Freaky-ass clown. They uh, are definitely trying to make it creepy. If that is the, kind, is the kind of thing that would have satisfied me as a kid. I would have thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's just it's there's just an interlude with a clown making balloon animals, and at the very end, his head does the thing where it spins all the way around like a clock, and that freaks that always freaks me out. And the but but the balloon animals are Captain Underpants yeah. fighting the monsters, and Captain Underpants getting his butt kicked by him, but it's just the balloons popping. I think it looks pretty cool. It does look cool, but I was just it I was taken aback because it was so different than everything else in tonally and visually in the episode. And then they do the beat where the guy they have an old guy in a porch who's like, Back in my day, clowns were funny. Yeah, that did make me laugh actually. They cut back to the hand drawn animation style for that. So we're back at the camp now. The balloon monster, the balloonatic, keeps absorbing all of Captain Underpants' blows. I think this conclusion is the least satisfying part of the show. Yeah, Captain Underpants has not really been present in the episode at all. He just shows up now, which I guess he is. He's Mr. Krupp. He's there. Yeah, but it's not. The point of Captain Underpants is that you and they really relied on this heavy in the movie adaptation. You want to watch Harold and George snap their fingers a thousand times 
and make Captain Underpants do silly things, and then mm. he gets hit with water, and he's Mr. Krupp again, and they snap their fingers, and he's under... The back and forth is part of what makes the show so fun. But I think for the longevity, the they probably felt like they had to flesh out the kids and more. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. But I think it's a good decision. I like all the kids. I like all the kids, too. It's not that interesting to watch a guy in underpants all the time. No, he's got a real uninteresting shape to yeah. him. A real Humpty Dumpty type. Yep. So... George and Harold, and I agree that I don't think this is a super satisfying conclusion, but I think it's a really standard conclusion for a kid's show. Yeah, they just have to end it. it was, yeah. It's not about satisfying kids' expectations. No, no, not at all. Um, the ultimate lesson is that Harold and George, like they said at the top of the episode, are better together than they are. I guess they say they're worse. They'll be worse separated than they would be together. Yeah. Um, and now they've kind of inverted that idea where they realize that they really actually do need each other to solve problems. But they were in on it the whole time. Yeah. So we get this reveal Which I that. I don't like that. Um, well, so first, um, George and Harold realize that if they create the Camplifier uh, who only wanted to make friends, that was the plot of George and Melvin's comic book. Um, then the Camplifier will try to befriend the Balloonatic, and if they can get them to hug each other, the Camplifier's fire will pop the Balloonatic's water balloons, and then the water from Balloonatic will put out Camplifier. Just doesn't work. And every yeah, everything would go back to normal except for the fact that half the camp has already been destroyed. But Camplifier doesn't want to be friends with them. Yeah, they can't get them to interact with each other. And they say a line, there's like a throwaway line about how, well, it's fire and water. We'll have to try harder. Yeah, they're from two different worlds. But then also opposites attract, you, you know? know? So, George and Harold can attest to that. <laughs> so ultimately, um, they Captain Underpants helps. They kind of just like wrap them up. In like a like a tourniquet. I think it's supposed to be like a lasso made of underpants, probably. Sure, sure, that sounds like something that Captain Underpants would have. Yeah, unless they specifically have them like pull bed sheets <laughs> off the line, and I missed it. Utility waistband. Utility wedgie. With uh, now with new elasticity. There you go. That is exactly in the kind of Captain Underpants book for sure. Is it really? For sure. Neat. Give me a job, Netflix, please. So. The camp, now that it's destroyed, Mr. Krupp, um, and he all, now that he thinks that George and Harold absolutely hate each other, uh, he gets rid of the fence, and George and Harold get to be in the same camp. Now we get this reveal that George and Harold the whole time have only been pretending to fight. Psych! Knowing somehow that all of these things would happen. So do you think that... That they sat down to, or they wrote each other letters and were like, you ask Erica to make a comic, and I'll get Melvin to make one with me. I think they could have just talked about it through the chain link fence. Well, sure, yeah. Or <laughs> It wouldn't have been as dramatic. Yeah, I don't, generally, I don't like when any show ever does, though. We were actually in on it the whole time, and we just didn't show you, even though our main characters came to that conclusion together earlier. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a function of it being a kid show, is that yeah. we don't get any clue whatsoever that this has actually been part of their plan the whole time. And I think, specifically for this show, probably in, like, their creative <laughs> sense, these guys are best friends. They wouldn't fight, and they don't want to make that right, be any different. Right. 
Yeah, I think the show falls apart if George and Harold actually have conflict between them. Yeah, they don't want them to be arguing at all. They're best friends. They make comics together. The most That's passionate real thing you can do. Exactly. So uh, Melvin is sad because he thought George was like going to be his new friend. Yeah. Which, I mean, Melvin kind of got a bad attitude. Maybe you need to look inward, make some changes before you expect people to accept you. Don't be so fucking clingy next time. Maybe you, you'll keep a friend longer. Do you love yourself, Melvin? <laughs> no, he and only why? loves his dead mom. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> so Erica reveals to George and Harold that she knows they were only pretending to argue with each other. But nothing really ha- – It's. I think it's just, like, another beat of Erica being cooler and smarter than all the other kids. Yeah, clearly Erica's the best of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, if you fucked up – like, if you Sean Hunter-style blew up a mailbox, you would go to Erica mm-hmm. to, like, figure out what to do next. Yeah, but Corey's not cool like Erica is, though. Erica's cool. Yeah, Corey was just there. He was just housing him. <laughs> Corey's the kind of guy who you can talk to, like, keep you in his house when the police are over you, which is, like, a stupid thing to do, Corey. Why would you put yourself up like that? Eric is the kind of person who will already have a plan in place that you'll be gone by the time the cops show up to her house. She'll give you advice, but she's kicking your ass out. You're not staying there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The block is hot. <laughs> so, uh, Melvin also finds out, he overhears that it was a plan, it was a fake fight between Harold and George. And he squeals to Mr. Cruff because he's mad that George dropped him like a hot potato. Jealous. Envy, envy, envy. So, and this is our this is our final reveal that we were talking about earlier in the episode. Next morning, all the campers wake up, uh, and the chain link fence has been replaced by the, quote, big, beautiful wall. Hey, that's the best impression you've done of anybody yet. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe I wasn't looking. Maybe I was trying too hard to not see it. I didn't want it to be a Trump allegory because I'm sick of seeing Trump allegories. I couldn't not interpret it that way, but maybe that is just because the era we're living in, almost everything is – I mean, you can't look at a bag of Cheetos without being like, is that a Trump reference? And Crump is like a doofus. Yeah, yeah. So it works. <laughs> I know other doofuses. So – uh, the epic adventures, the epic tales of Captain Underpants. Are you going to watch again? What do you think? No, nah, probably not. If I had a kid, I think this would be a fun show to watch with them. I don't think it's a bad show, but there's only so many hours in a week. I'm not really like trying to find out what happens to Captain Underpants that bad. I do think it's a good show, but it's obviously it's not on my spectrum. We've talked about this before. In the past, I've tried to make myself like kid shows in the way people do with like regular time and adventure show and stuff. It just never hits with me the same way. <laughs> regular time and adventure show remake them what about you Allie? would you watch another episode of the show um will you watch another episode of the show realistically realistically no the epic tales of captain underpants is probably gonna be one that falls off for me but i did i agree with you i thought that it was a really fun watch i it went quickly i enjoyed watching it um if i were a kid or if I accidentally have kids, this is the kind of thing that I would want to be watching. Um, I thought that it didn't dumb itself down because it's for kids, which is a trend that I think has really um, worsened the children's TV genre in general. And I really appreciated the fact that 
it this was not a, a standalone episode the next episode is i presume is gonna start with them figuring out how to tear down this brick wall yeah the whole season is definitely at the summer camp yeah yeah i got th- but i just i thought it was gonna be every episode is like one camp hijinks and it seems like they're dealing with larger story arcs and um I I I thought that was great. That was probably my one of my favorite elements of the show. I think one of the uh, big benefits of a show like this, uh, if you're a parent, would probably be that it is a well-made show based on a book, so it's really transition to a, really easy to transition to a book. So if your kid doesn't like reading, you can get them to watch Captain Underpants, and then yeah. you can produce this book and be like, hey, you like Captain Underpants? Why don't you give this a shot? Whereas, like, the book adaptations of Halo are garbage and long, so it's a lot harder <laughs> to be like, you like Master Chief, don't you? Do you want to read this 300-page book about when he was in boot camp? His name was John 113. I know him. Is that the one who doesn't have the belly button? No, that's Kyle XY. Oh. Uh, Never saw it. I did. No belly button. You know what I'd like to see again? What? The mole. Let's bring it back, people. Thanks for listening to You, Me, and TV. If you like what you heard, um, maybe hit the subscribe button or, like we said, start one of those dumbass petitions to bring back the mole. Five-star reviews.